hope you enjoyed uh, the VBS uh, kids singing. Don't worry, we'll have another song that we can listen to at the end of the service. But uh, that's just a few of them that were able to uh, work, lead us in worship last Sunday uh, at VBS. So, um, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah 10. We'll, we'll read from uh, God's Word shortly, but you should want to go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and Nehemiah 10. And while you're turning there, uh, I don't know if you know this, but school will be starting soon. Uh, and school is going to look... Uh, very different probably for some time. Uh, so I know my, my sister, her kids went to physical school last week. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly the plan yet uh, for Horry County. I from what I understand it will be week to week. So, But my father-in-law is a PE teacher in the Clover School District in York County, which is not too far from where I grew up and is where Becca grew up. And he was given the task, given the position of the K through second grade, a virtual PE teacher for the whole district of Clover. Now, what that entails, he would have to do videos uh, and then post them online for all the kids who signed up for virtual school to watch. And the person above him said, hey, just grab an iPad and you just film while you, while you teach your lesson. Now, if you never filmed anything or you never taught, it's not, it's really difficult. In fact, I would dare say impossible to teach kids that are physically in front of you while holding an iPad while you teach to the virtual kids. It's just not going to work. So we had to convince him to say, you just come down to our house and we will film you right now, film you this weekend and do some virtual lessons and we'll put the videos together and we'll give that to you. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, trust us. So, and Becca, we're not sure how she's going to do virtual library, but she, we have some, some ideas. Hopefully we, they're creative and stuff. But uh, we bought some lights for good lighting. We, we bought this backdrop for, as a white backdrop and a green backdrop. So we do some green screen effects. But we got her dad to come down and use all this equipment. And I uh, got some good audio and stuff. And we want to give them the most impact as possible. The best video they could so they had the most impact possible on virtual learning. And, uh, and if, if you're going to do content like that, you have to have really good equipment. You have to know what you're doing exactly, how to make everything look just right. But unfortunately, uh, people today see that as see God's kingdom as if you want to make God's kingdom, you have to do such and such and such and such. You have to have the most, uh, you have to have the smartest person teach all the lessons. You have to have the smartest person do all this. You have to have the right video equipment. You have to have all these things. You know every ins and out of God's word to expand His kingdom to do God's work. But that's not true. You see. All we need is God and us to trust him. We need his word and just trust him. And he will work through us. In fact, the main message, for the main idea for this message is that God shows his glory through normal people like you and me who have given their lives to Christ. That's it. If you want to be a part of expanding God's kingdom, just trust him. He's going to use normal people like you and me if we believe in Christ and trust him, he'll use us. And that's what's happening in Nehemiah 10, actually. So 
uh, Nehemiah 10. Now let me read verses 28 through 39. I know that's long, but it's important to read because this is God's word. So let's do this. Starting in verse 28. Now I'll get out. We'll talk about verses 1 through 27 in a bit. But verse 28. Here we go. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the hands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into the curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God. And to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves an obligation to give a yearly third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular offering, oh, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offering to make atonement for Israel. For all the work of the house of our God, we, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lot. Lots for the wood offerings to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God. As it is written in the law, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our God and the first fruits of, our, of all fruit to every tree, year by year to the house of the Lord. Also bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as is written in the law, the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions and the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of our house of our God. And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in, our all, in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring of the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of God, house of our God. Now... It's important to understand the context of this passage. Every time you read the Bible, it's always important to understand the context. How you do that is read a few passages before or, and a few passages after. Now, the background of this. Now, this is Nehemiah, and then there's a book also called Ezra. In the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. Now, we're not Israelites, so we divided the book, so it helps us understand a little bit more. Uh, now, Ezra, basically in the first few chapters of Ezra, it talks about how the Babylonians have taken over uh, the Israelites and they brought them in exile. And then the Persian, the Persian uh, Empire took over the Babylonians and the Persians allowed the uh, Israelites to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem, which was destroyed when the Babylonians took them over. 
And that's what, and the exiles, when the Babylonians took them and they, they destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem and they took Israelites out of their land. It would be like uh, a foreign nation coming into America and destroying the White House and then taking a good bit of Americans into foreign soil. So they were absolutely demolished. So when the Persians took over, they said, no, go, go rebuild your temple so you can worship your God. They wanted loyalty from the Israelites. So they allowed the Israelites to worship and they allowed them to rebuild the temple. And Ezra, after the last few chapters, he devoted himself to preaching the word, preaching the Old Testament to the Israelites. Now, Nehemiah was around the same time as Ezra and God put on his heart to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem to protect the city. And in chapter 8, of Nehemiah, we see after the wall has been completed. See, God wanted to rebuild the physical wall and rebuild the temple, but he also wanted to rebuild his people. He's not about physical things. He is about rebuilding people, redeeming them. We're all broken. And he wants to unbreak us, to to. Bring us into him where we can be complete. And that is through Christ. But he's rebuilding his people. And so they can be uh, the nation of Israel again. And they can reflect uh, him. And show who he is. So that happens in chapter 8. Ezra reads God's word through to the city of, Israel, or the city of Jerusalem. And it's, it's been a long time since a lot of Israelites have been able to hear the word in a large gathering. And then in chapter 9, they go throughout Scripture. See, they realize what happened in Scripture, and they realize that their fathers, their mothers, the, the, their ancestors lived in sin and did not walk in the ways of God, which led them to their downfall, which led them to be exiled from Babylon, or exiled by the Babylonians. Which, this, which basically meant they led to their own destruction causing their sins. And they prayed for, the, and they confessed that they also committed these same sins. They didn't say, well, it's caused the generation before us if we're in this mess. They're like, no, they did that, but we're doing the same thing. We're committing the same sins. We have not stayed with God. So they confessed the sins of their fathers and they confessed the sins of their own sins in chapter 9. And they wanted to repent. So they signed a covenant saying, we will walk in the ways of the Lord. And chapter 10 shows us that signed covenant and shows us who signed the covenant. Now, verses 1 through 27. So I skipped over those because as you literally read, I'll read the first verse. Uh, On the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Halakai, Zedekiah. And then after that, it's just a list of names. Now, I'm not saying these names are not important. These names are very important. I just can't pronounce them that very well, so I went ahead and skipped them. But what this list shows us is God's people are identifiable. Now, we are not a nation of Israel. We are God's people in that we have committed our lives to Christ. I think this relates to two things. One, we need to be identified as Christians. But also, we should understand, this kind of shows us what it should mean for the local church, for our local church in North Conway. 
If we are a member here, we should be serving here. We should be serving his local gathering of believers. Now, thinking about it this way. Pretend I am a basketball player. And I know you have to pretend because I'm only 5'5". But I say I'm on the bench because I'm not going to start. But I'm on the bench on the team. And the coach says, Will, get in the game. We need you. And then I say... No, I'm good. I'm just going to sit on the bench in this nice uniform and eat popcorn because this is really good front row seats. And then, in fact, I'm really here just to get the pizza and the drinks after the game. That's why I'm here. Now, how would you feel if you were a teammate of the pretend version of me? I could tell you I would hate that guy. I would not say he was a teammate. See, I, I, unfortunately, church membership, I don't think, has been taught seriously enough. I see it in my parents' generation. I see it in my generation. See, I'm not throwing people before me under the bus without throwing myself under the bus. I didn't really understand the importance of church membership until uh, I was a little older. Because right now we're like, oh, I can, I'll go to this church because they have really good worship service. But I'll go to this church because they have BBS. But this church doesn't have BBS. So I want to use, I want to get the, the, this right here. I want to get over here. Oh, and this one has a really good small group service. So I'm going to this church. So this, a person could be a part of three churches. But they only like it, they only go to these certain things because it brings them something and it serves their need instead of serving the need. See, the church is not for us to be served. It's not like a, Chick-fil-A restaurant where you like their waffle fries and their Chick-fil-A sandwich, but you may like cookouts, milkshakes. You don't go for just certain items. You, you serve the local church. You serve the Lord at his local church. So my question is, how, for two questions. How does your life show that you are identified as a follower of Christ? And how does your life... How does your church membership reflect your actual membership? How does your life show that you are a member of a local church? Now, if you're not a member here at North Conway, we're glad you're here, whether you're visiting online or visiting in person. We're glad you're here. Uh, I would encourage you, if, if you're not a believer, to, I, I would look at God's Word. It, it's, it's a book of life. It will change you. If you are a Christian, you're not a member of some church, I encourage you to join a church and serve. Not just say, oh, I served. I signed a piece of paper. I'm good. If we know that doesn't work in team, why would it work in God's people? Then as you look at verses 28 through 29, it says the rest of the people. That's the rest of the Israelites. So it names all these Israelites and the rest that were there that signed the covenant. And then it says the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, and the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants. And then it says this. And all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. That is talking about people who are following God or Yahweh, as they called him in the Old Testament, that were not Israelites. They separated from their lands to follow the law of God. See, I want you to understand, God's people are diverse. There's Israelites and all the Levites, the gatekeepers, the different types of uh, service they were given or jobs or positions they were given. And then there's other people who are not Israelites, but they're following God. They're signing this covenant too. Now, unless you are Jewish or have Israelite, we are not Israelites. 
But yet, if we are believers, we are following Christ, we're a disciple of Christ, we are part of God's people. Think about that. We have people that are identifiable and they're diverse. There's a there's a there's kind of a joke around pastors and people who serve at the church, and I'm talking about lay people that. 80% of the church's work is done by 20% of the people in the church. What if 100% of the people in our churches did, a, did the work? What, how could God bless those ministries? Now, let me say this. Because it's is difficult times during this pandemic. If there's an opportunity that a church presents, North Conway or whether a local or another church... But if you're a member here, if there's an opportunity to serve, ask if you can serve. Okay? Pray about it. But I guarantee you, our church wants you to serve. We want you to serve along with you. We've done this. We, we had VBS. We've had deacons send uh, food out to members. We've had other things going on. Look for those opportunities. And we're, and we're trying to communicate as best we can. Just if you feel like you need to serve somewhere, give us a call. Now, like I said, we're, God's people are diverse. Now, I've been to a few concerts in my life. I'm not the biggest concert goer, per se, but I've been to a few. But I remember when I go to concerts, I would see a diverse group of people. I would see people that are Older, people that are younger, people in the middle, people with all their teeth, people without all their teeth, uh, people who just all kinds of walks at these concerts or music festivals. And they had one goal to sing with their favorite artists, whether it's a band or a, one, a solo singer. They're all there to do that. And God's kingdom is similar to that in that it brings a diverse group of people who want to glorify God with their lives. Now, there's a big difference in these music concerts or music festivals or whatever and then the kingdom of God. The music concert or whatever, there's, there's certain people that have VIPs, VIP passes. How do you get a VIP pass? You've got to pay a little extra moolah. If you want to have, hang out with the band later on, you've got to pay a little bit more. You're starting to see where there's divisions with these people based on how much money they can pay for these concerts. There is no division in God's kingdom. Is that if you want to be a God's kingdom, all you got to do is repent, confess your sins, repent, and follow God. Follow Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Surrender it to him. Let him be Lord of your life. Make him Lord of your life. And then that brings all these people. We have people in Africa. We have people in Europe. We have people in China. We have people all the way around the world that are believers. We are one with them. We are brought together by Christ. What I want you to understand is God's kingdom is for everyone, but it has to be through Jesus Christ. So if you commit yourself to Christ, then you are part of this kingdom. So the gospel is for everyone, but not everyone will choose. But it doesn't, we don't decide who chooses. 
we proclaim God's kingdom. We proclaim God, the gospel. God is the one that saves. Now, verses 30 through 31. It talks, it talks about God's people living by his word. So God's people lives by his word. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. This first part, he's talking about intermarriage. And he's, he's basically, they're not going to marry their sons and daughters to outsiders, to people who are not followers of God. doesn't mean they're not going to marry them to Israelites. Understand that. This is a, it's not that God is racist saying you only can marry this one race. You can only marry this one, peop, this one group from one nation. What he's saying, you should only marry people who are also following God's word. If you are married or looking to marry, actually I should say, you should need to, and you're looking to date, for as long as you're younger people, you should find, the first thing you should find out is not how much, what kind of car they have, what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of interests they have. You need to find out if they're Christian. You need to find out if they are a believer, a follower of Christ. And I don't mean a person that says, yeah, I know Jesus, he's a cool dude. No, I mean like, no, I'm going to love Christ the more I'm going to love you. I love Christ more than I love you. If they put Christ before you, that they, there's a good chance that could be a good, good opportunity to marry that person or date that person. Now, if they don't, just, just leave. Like, hey, this isn't going to work out. You might be, that might sound harsh, but let's, let's put in some terms that we might be able to understand. Okay, So say we have a, I don't know, a diehard Clemson fan, a diehard Carolina fan. Now, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about, like, yeah, I like to watch Clemson. I'm talking about the crazy people who spend tons and tons of money on it. Those people are not going to mix. Because at their core, they cannot agree on something that they truly love. Now, Becca, she, told, she made a promise to herself. She was going to marry someone that loved football. She grew up in an athletic director's house. And they loved football. She's such a big football fan. She loves the Cincinnati Bengals. And if you don't know who they are, they're like the worst team in the NFL. And they're, at one point, they're called the Cincinnati Criminals because half the team got arrested. Okay? So, but she loved them. She liked them because of their helmets. Um, but she also said she's got to marry a Clemson fan. Luckily for me, that worked out for me. But that we see how that doesn't mix. We, we see it doesn't mix and, we, and people want to say religion yeah just, just y'all can work on that later no you need to find out now if they're going to be a follower of Christ because what happens when you have kids do they follow their father do they follow their mother or do they say you know what they didn't take it seriously I'm not going to take it seriously one of the sins that Solomon committed was marrying women that were not Israelites. Now, marrying women, that's a sin in itself. But he had committed other sins. But the sin that committed to his downfall, that, that was the one that led to it, really, was him marrying women that did not follow God. 
that cause him to drift away from God. Because of that sin, Israel at the time, when Solomon was king, was one nation. As soon as they, he died, it split into two. And that was because God said, because you had married foreign women who do not follow me, your kingdom will fall. I went golfing yesterday, and it was a fun experience. You, the, the score would not reflect that, but it was fun. But I, I went golfing with a friend of mine, and he, he's a, a pastor in Lexington. And he was just telling you, we're just talking about things, not necessarily ministry stuff, but we're just talking about life. Uh, he's about to turn 30 in September. He's been married five years. And I asked him a question about marriage. And I said, look, I, I just got to ask you this because I feel like you and I have the same values. We have the same, we have the same similar experiences. We kind of grew up together. But I said, did, did people tell you that marriage is going to be super hard? Like, especially in the first few years, it's going to be super hard and it's going to be life-changing and like, we're going to have to adjust to a lot. It's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, a lot of people told me that. And I, and I don't know about you, but for me, Beck and I, our marriage wasn't super hard. And I'm not saying life isn't hard. I'm not saying we haven't gone through difficulties. But I've always looked forward to coming home to seeing Becca and getting to talk to her. In fact, when I had bad days, I, got to, I really got to look forward to coming home. It wasn't a burden to be married. And he's like, I think that's the same thing with him. And they had difficulties in life too, him and his wife. And he said something profound to me. And he's wiser than me. He's wiser than many people his age. He said, I think the reason why people have a hard time in marriage is that they're not making it Christ-centered. Because when you make it Christ-centered, when the marriage is truly around Christ, it's, it's built in that you can face hard challenges, but also you, know, you don't look at marriage um, selfishly. You look at an example of Christ's love. You see it how Jesus sacrificially loved us so you want to reflect that in your marriage so you sacrificially love your spouse when you are willing to sacrifice for uh, for your spouse you no longer want to be selfish and unfortunately people look at marriage as something that you can get instead of something you can give because Christ gave his life we should give our lives to Christ. In fact, it makes me think of, a, uh, I did a little mentor. I was actually, I was the mentee. Someone mentored him, a guy named Hunter and Loris. It's really funny. We, we walk into a coffee shop together. He's 6'8", I'm 5'5". Five five. And, uh, and we sit down at the table. I got plenty of room. He doesn't. And we were talking about marriage. And he said, you got to, as a husband, we should give, we, we're supposed to love our wife, love our wife as Christ loved the church. Well, Christ literally gave his body for the church. And I remember that because I was like, wow. Like, Becca asked me to do something. And my back was hurting like no other. And my left kneecap was hurting. I don't know why. But I had to move something. You're know, like, nope. I give him my body for her. And I did. And it felt good to get in the bed after I did all that work. But we're supposed to be sacrificing for our marriage. That's how God intended. And that's what he wanted these Israelites to understand. Now look at verse 31. 
And if the people, if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year in taxation of every debt. Now, talk about the Sabbath. The Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word that means day of rest. It was the seventh day. It was the day, and it comes from a creation story. And it's written in, in the law in, 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 the new, in the first five books of the Old Testament. And it was a day of rest. That's what it was. It wasn't a day of worship. It was a day of rest. And it talks about being, keeping it holy in the Old Testament, making it holy. And what holy meant was to set it apart, to sanctify it. The Israelites were made a distinction in the seventh day, the Sabbath day, because one Sunday through Friday, they would work. On Saturday, they rested. And it was to show trust that God would provide. Now, it comes from uh, eventually they were, in the wonder, they were in the desert, and the Israelites were in the desert in the book of Exodus. And they, God would provide them manna throughout. And we actually sung about that today. It would provide them manna, which is like, I call it like holy bread that comes from God. And they're in the desert because there's no food there. And he would provide them extra manna and, and they pick it up on Friday and then don't pick it up on Saturday. You rest because God will provide. See, this, keeping the Sabbath for the Israelites was, a, was evidence of faith. Now it also talks about... Um, Keeping, uh, foregoing the crops on the seventh year, the Sabbath year, uh, and, uh, and forgiving all debts on the seventh year. Basically, these were mainly farmers. On the seventh year, every seventh year, they would not work the fields. Now, that would be like us. Every seven years, we take a, uh, we take a year off from work. That would be really hard. Because now you've got to trust for God to provide for you for that year that you're not working. Or make up for the time that you're not working. That's what it meant to truly trust God back then. And then to forgive all debt. So on the seventh year, no matter what someone owed you, you had to forgive them of that debt. Whether it's $1 or $100,000. Because you're trusting, again, it's about trusting God. It is the evidence of the faith. Trusting God to provide for your means. Now, what does this mean for Christians, followers of Christ now? Now, let me teach you this. It's maybe a little controversial. The Sabbath isn't the day of the church to meet and worship. Okay? It is a day of rest. And it was mainly for Israel uh, for trusting God. Okay? Now, this doesn't mean that we should not gather and worship together. In fact, Hebrews 10, it tells us don't neglect the gathering. Don't neglect the church. Don't neglect the gathering of believers. But Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says this. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest also is rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sword of obedience. Now God's kingdom is here but not yet. God's kingdom will not fully be here until Christ returns and brings the new heaven and new earth. Well, we will have fully have full rest. So what I want you to take away is, is through Christ, we can have rest. 
we can have rest in him that we no longer have to do, we're not working for salvation because we can't work for salvation. God did that salvation for us through his son on the cross, on that bloody cross. And all we got to do is say, Lord Jesus, you are our Lord. We surrender our life to you. We repent of our sins and we will follow you. And that seems too simple, but that's what it is. So you will find rest in Christ because he paid your debt. See, God, through Jesus, God fulfilled the Sabbath. And it will be completely fulfilled when the kingdom is fully here after Jesus returns again. So are you living by his word? Are you dedicated to his word? Are you focused on obeying God? Are you focused on resting him or resting, living Completely by his word. Now speaking of rest. I do not get a lot of it right now. Because I have a baby that's five and a half months old. And a two year old. Now two year old Julia. She, uh, she wakes up about 6.30 every morning. And she starts banging on the door. Because she wants to fall asleep with mama and daddy in the morning. So what I do, I get up about whenever she gets up, change her diaper, come to our, bring her to our bed and let her fall down. Or not fall down, fall asleep again. And she falls asleep and when, when she sleeps, she likes to move around. Like one time she literally decked me in the face and she didn't realize it. And she'll move around but she is fast asleep. You can hear her snoring. You got a little cute snore and everything. But as soon as I like move a muscle, she wakes up. But if I don't move, I never change. She is completely at rest. Listen here, my friends. And those who, don't, who, who, who are not believers, I want you to take heart in this. I want you to understand this, that God's word's never changing. The truth never changes. A lot of people don't believe that there is one truth, but I'm telling you it is. And you might be thinking, well, truth changes. Well, if truth changes, then you can never rest. But rest assured that God has always been here and will always be here and he is unchanging. And we can take rest in that because we can always come to him because we know that he is the true God and that he presents truth in his word. And not a truth, but the truth. Just as Julia Rose can find rest because I am not changing my position, God never changes his position. He is always saying, I love you. If you want to be a part of my kingdom, repent of your sins and follow Christ. Surrender him to him because he is Lord. That's it. And then as you, as you continue to listen to his word, he'll change you. He'll change you because we're all broken and we need to be fixed. Just as Israelites were broken. Now, in verses 32 through 39, it talks about God's people giving to the house of the house of God or the house of the Lord. And that's talking about giving tithes to the temple. Now, so I want you to understand, God's people commit to his church. They commit to it. With not only with their physical presence and their time, but they commit to it with their tithes. See, God gave all these laws in the first five books of the Bible um, 
so they, so the nation of Israel could enjoy the presence of God. Now, they were not obligated to do this. They could, like, no, I'm not going to sacrifice these animals these certain ways. I'm not going to listen to your word. I'm not going to listen to the Ten Commandments. I'm going to do what I want to. And he's, he's given anybody that freedom. But he said, but if you want to be in my presence, you want to enjoy my presence, you got to do these. You got to commit to my commandments. You got to follow the way of sacrifices. But we do not have a temple. Like we don't go to the city of Jerusalem and worship at that temple. In fact, for Christians, there isn't, there isn't a physical temple. And God said he would dwell in the temple among his people. And that's what the whole point of the temple is. Where That's where he dwells. But if there's no temple here, how do we dwell in his presence? Well, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Which means to be committed to the temple is to be committed to the gathering of believers, which we call the church. The church is not a building. The church is God's people. Through Christ, that were created through Christ. And he's talking about committing to, um, committing to the church, their money and their time. So what are all these, I want to sum it up. So he talks about marriage, he talks about the Sabbath, and he talks about supporting the temple. So how does this relate to us? Marriage, marriage exists to display the way God loves his people sacrificially through Christ on the cross. The Sabbath. What does that have to do with us? We rest from our works and take on the easy yoke that Christ offers and we proclaim that he saves us and he gives us rest. And supporting the temple, the body of believers, to declare that God is the Lord of our money. And we do these things as acts of worship. And we say, we do the, we say this by paying, we give our tithes and we say, we trust God more than our money. We trust God more than our money. I mean, look what happens throughout our nation specifically. We had a great depression. We had wars. We have, and then we have um, an oil is shortage in the 70s or something. I don't know all these, but there's times where our, our nation has gone through tough times. It's going through a tough time now, but we have God who's unchanging so that's why he's called us to trust him. And these aren't like amazing people that he's called us to. In fact, after Christ, he got Peter and John and other disciples. He used those 12 men to start the church. Peter was a fisherman. John, which his book, the book of John, is a great book. And it shows the love of Christ. But John's nickname was the Son of Thunder. He wanted to fight people. Peter didn't want to suffer. But if you look at Peter's one, Peter, one, first Peter, second Peter, it's talking about suffering. And John talks about the love of Christ. Jesus was preparing them for the day when he was gone, but these are just regular men. In fact, in Acts, it talks about how John and Peter were uneducated. 
God wants us just to trust him and he'll use us. Are you willing to trust him? Now, I talked about my father-in-law doing a virtual uh, videos for the school, upcoming school year. And he read, and what happens if we had all these lights set up and then we had a camera and then under the camera was a script who read that. And you, I could tell somewhat when he was reading the script and when he wasn't. And there was a big difference when he wasn't because his whole demeanor changed. And, and at one point he was telling the, the camera, aka he's going to tell the kids, that when you want to get all you can out of the physical education and virtual school, you got to do several things. And one of the things is be enthusiastic. And he like said it just like that. Guys, we should be enthusiastic about the gospel. We should be enthusiastic about the kingdom of God. I know it's tough times, guys, but guess what? We're, there's a day of rest coming. This will pass, but God will be here. God is here. So let's remember that we can rest in him because of what he did on the cross. We should be enthusiastic about what Christ has done for us. And also be enthusiastic of proclaiming Christ to the world. Why? Well, this is more important than ever before. Because I read a study recently that one in four students or young adults have now thought about suicide since March it's like quadrupled the amount of people thinking about suicide because they have put, a lot of people put hope in something that doesn't stay the same, that will not satisfy them, that will not give them hope, that will eventually fall. And this is why it's so great that God is unchanging because nothing can change him, nothing can move him. He has been here before creation. He'll be here after the new earth and new heavens are here. Why don't we give people hope by telling them about this Jesus, our King? The opportunity is here, my friends. And if you are not a believer, if you are a person that is just checking out Christianity I encourage you to check out his word. I encourage you to ask questions. Come here. Ask questions whether it's North Conway or other churches. But don't judge us by our sins. Judge us by our king and that is Jesus. So let us be normal people who are committed to our lives to Christ so he can use us to grow his kingdom. Let us pray.